Welcome back to another week of instigating with Clarky and Jury, brought to you by our friends at Cool Bet Canada, the Listowel Squash Courts, Listowel Vision Care, and see the game. Ryan Jury alongside Chris Clark. We got a great special guest coming up in the second half of the show. But first, we're very pleased to catch up with friend of the show, our buddy from TSN Hockey and the former captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Poolin. Pooley, how are you, man? Well, I'm a little confused. You've got a great guest in the second half of the show. Now, <laughs> now we're just teasing. We've so got he said it, not me. Tease out there. And by yes. the way, we're we're just kind of filling time in the first half of the show here. So no, we put no, a guy no. in. We don't fill time on Instagram. We have, There's no we have filling great, time. We have a great local swimmer, uh, Lauren Campbell, who's uh, yes. last year high school and uh, just signed with Illinois State. Um, and she's Illinois here next year. So yes. she will be the next guest. There you go. Yes. But there's well, no I would agree with time. You. you have a tremendous guest in the second half. Yes. Yes. Congratulations really to Lauren. You know my NCAA roots and, and what a great right. route that is. And I was yeah. very friendly with the swim coaches at Notre Dame. We had two great swim coaches mm. there, Tim Welsh uh, and uh, Bailey. And I'm blanking on Bailey's last name. Um, but really good programs when I was there. And um, I walked in one day into our little cafe at lunch. And Tim was just grinding. He had a pen and he had this little napkin. I said, what are you working on, Tim? He said, ah, I'm just working on some drills for practice. And I looked at him like, like, <laughs> swim to the other end and come back? Or like, ah, what are we working on here, Tim? <laughs> yeah. Like, is it one-on-ones, two-on-ones, digging out of the corner? We laughed yeah. at that. And he said, oh, no, there's a lot of different drills for swimming. Don't Don't underestimate the different drills. I said, yeah. I think you're overblowing your role as the coach. Well, yeah, I want to go what's back. What's your breakout look like? Oh yeah, man, exactly. Go ahead. Hey, I want to go back. I want to go back to a, a little text exchange we had September 21st. I know lots can change. Um, all I said, we we talked about a bunch of stuff, and at the end, I said, "Go Leafs, go." Uh, are you playing net for them? Question mark. Well, I'm not playing net for them, but no, it's too crowded. how surprised are you with the success they're having so far this season in, in net? Well, I, I'm not sure if surprised is the right word. Um, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. And, and, and it would be, if anyone were to tell you that this was a sure thing going into the year, it wouldn't be accurate. It just wouldn't. No. I mean, yeah. all I was doing was looking at the information at my disposal. And for sure. And Samsonov, um, you know, came in with a huge pedigree and, and had struggled and Washington chose to release him. So he had all these different, you know, great starts to a year and then faded and, you know, all these different questions. And Matt Murray, I have seen Matt Murray over the last two years play exactly like he's playing right now, guys. I just haven't seen him do it for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And within those two years, there were probably maybe as many as four or five stretches where he'd go six, seven games and the Ottawa crowd would excitedly say, Matt Murray's back. He's back because he was as good as he is now. And we can get into Dallas, you know, in his most recent game and how great he was, but he wasn't able to sustain it from an injury standpoint. And Eric Schalgren, you know, looked like he wasn't quite a full-time NHL goaltender yet. So if we look at those three pieces this year, and the fact that I think this morning the Leafs are third overall in goals against, it's tremendous. I mean, it really is. And and I guess surprising is the right word, Clarky. Um, I, I don't want to – surprising wasn't from a doubt 
standpoint, surprising mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was from a question standpoint. Yep. And, you know, both goalies had pedigree. And two Stanley Cups is quite a pedigree, by the way. But both had a number of questions as well. And, you know, we're 25 games into the year, and we cannot dismiss that Eric Schalgren held this together. And he's actually played the most games. I guess we're 28 games into the year. He's played the most games for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year and pleasantly, you know, is sitting, you know, now in the relief role if something were to happen. So I think all the way across the board, but what we have to do is chat about what that forced this hockey club to do, what that forced. And then the injuries to key defensemen forced was it forced them to play the best team defense that I can remember since, you know, in the last probably six or seven years. Now, to my point about Murray, we've seen this team play good team defense for stretches of time. We haven't seen them sustain it or sustain it at critical moments. But the number of times I see a six-foot pass from a defenseman to a John Tavares below the goal line, I just smile, guys. I mean, that, mm-hmm. to me, as a former player, as a former defensive center, um, as a guy who played on a lot of winning teams, just makes a coach smile or a manager smile or a teammate smile to see Austin Matthews digging the puck out of the defensive corner, starting the breakouts. Um, you know, the ability to flip and chase and, and hunt it down in the neutral zone with a doggedness that says, okay, if Matt Hollowell doesn't have a play, he's going to put it up and over everybody and play to our strength. Our best players are our forwards. We're going to let them win the battles in the neutral zone. So a lot of positives there come off that text from September 21st, Clarky. And excuse yeah. me, because I'm, I'm working a T here, because I, I so still got a little bit of a voice situation. So um, You sound yeah, great, though. You're grinding, man. You're grinding. I love it. Yeah, I'm and, grinding. I'm grinding. I had a busy November. Well, no, you did. And well, and the Leafs did too. And they put together their best month in franchise history. We've talked about this last week with our buddy Omar, uh, who was on the show from Yahoo Sports. You know, Sheldon keeps Leafs. They continue to keep doing this. They keep breaking this record, setting this new record, setting this new point standard. And one thing that's been positive outside of the obvious good story with the goaltending pooly is how well they are playing as a team and particularly offensively now where people were freaking out. They weren't scoring a lot in the early part of the year. They were in the bottom third of the league for, for goals scored. That's drastically changed, but the way they're scoring has changed. And I brought this up last week heading into the playoffs last season. Sheldon Keefe said, we don't score enough playoff goals. Well, this year, they're not just scoring off the rush. They're not just scoring with backdoor plays on the power play. They're getting into the gritty areas and scoring some nasty ones. Are they starting to kind of turn the corner philosophically for you, Pooley? Well, they are, but we've seen this in stretches before. We haven't seen it, you know, sustained. And because it's a hard way to play, guys, it it just is. And I can tell you that because I played like this my whole career. Uh, I didn't wake up in the morning and say, ah, I'm probably going to get two rush goals tonight. This would be great. <laughs> that wasn't the way I existed. And um, it, it is a different style. I, I think they've changed out effectively some of the bottom six um, to suit their style a little bit more. And, you know, because you need some some different types of players down there. David Camp has been a revelation. I think he's, you know, that was a really, really good pickup. Um, and he continues to impress me the way he plays 
Um, Holmberg has been good uh, in, a, in a shorter period of time, but their depth up front is still in their top six. You know, they've still got to generate and still got to do it. The bottom six has got to maintain and play that consistent role. Um, if I'm going to go to one player, it's a defenseman uh, that I couldn't be more impressed with. It's Mark Giordano. Mm-hmm. And guys, we know he won his Norris later in his career and well-documented, you know, coming the way he came in the league and late. And, and I was a late comer to the NHL as well. But, you know, I retired at 37 and I was done physically. And I played for 13 seasons and, and I got a lot out of what I had, but I was done. And I can't imagine what he is absorbing at 39 years old. He looks tremendous. Um, he's doing the simple things very well. Um, I, I believe 27 block shots as a team last night, and he sort of epitomizes what it is. Now, of the 27 block shots, guys, 13 different players. That's impressive. That says everybody's on board. But the contagiousness of watching a Mark Giordano play, if you're a teammate, if that guy's out there selling it and and he's doing it on an every night basis – the leadership aspect of that is it gives you no choice. How do you sit beside that guy in the locker room and watch what he's doing and not <laughs> replicate it? And I, I think leadership can be very overblown in the, the new Rockney speech, if you will, or the, you know, leadership by, you know, some magical talk at some point. Leadership is doing. And it's, it's leading by how you play and how you perform and how you're consistent. And right now, the play of Mark Giordano is just outstanding for the Leafs guys. Now, once again, the worry the worry that you have, and when I was asked a couple weeks ago about he and Jamie Benn, um, I said both concerned me. Ben actually concerned me more, even though he's younger, on the injury standpoint. And I unfortunately proved to be right there. But you just you have to overplay this guy right now, but you can't overplay him at these numbers. Like, You've got to get him back to 16 or 17 minutes a night, you know, at some point here. And, and last night, uh, or sorry, when, uh, well, Tuesday night when they were playing Dallas, um, you know, you see Giordano in the penalty box. You see Justin Hull, who's playing a lot better. I give him credit. I think he is anyway in the penalty box. Okay, so Clarky, how much yeah. of that is Giordano? Oh, it could be totally uh, a lot. A lot. You know, absolutely. Lot. His, his presence, his calmness on the ice it, it is, his partner. is great. Yeah, exactly. But the depth on this blue line has blown me away lately. Like, um, like uh, Sandine and Lilligren last night on that five on three, I thought were terrific. They were block, as you mentioned, they were blocking shots like crazy. But just you have Morgan Riley out, TJ Brody out, Jordy Ben out, and Muzzin out, and the team continues to win because they obviously are playing a way better, as you mentioned earlier, team defense, right? Absolutely, and. Sandine and, and Lilligren may have had their best game as a pair last night, may have been their best games in, as individuals. What we forget is these are first round draft picks guys. <laughs> you know, these are first, these are guys who are supposed to be good. They're five, five plus years into their careers here. And maybe it's that they've developed slower than he would have liked, but there's no timeline involved. The bottom line is they're playing really well right now, but they're supposed to play well. And for an organization to be successful, your first rounders have to play well. They have to. And the Leafs were without first rounders for a couple of years because they traded at critical point. But still, these are two guys that were chosen um, and now we're five plus years removed and they're supposed to be good. 
to be good together and play the way they're playing right now is what has to happen for an organization. You have to draft and develop players. You absolutely have to. You can't go out and and just pick up guys at the trade deadline, even because of the consistency of the room. And and that's where a Tampa Bay, if you look at their model guys and, and you look at a, you know, Perbex or, you know, a defenseman show up for them, like, where did this guy come from? Well, he was a six-round draft pick and he spent three years in college and he spent a year in Syracuse and now he's a Tampa Bay Lightning. Where did Ross Colton come from? Same formula. A couple of years at Vermont, a couple of years in and, – and so they draft and develop through the organization. The kids get to know each other. They grow together. And that hasn't happened here, and you know, in the last seven or eight years. And mm-hmm. it has mm-hmm. to – you have to have those pieces to be successful. Yeah, you really do. And, and I mean, first rounders, especially you got to hit on those. Like, I, and again, the, the similarities between the two teams are scary. Like when the caps finally figured it out and did it, I think they had 13 first round picks on that roster, their picks, which, which you just got to hit on it. And Sandy and Lilligren, you know, it's that old thing. Like Brian Burke used to say a defenseman needs like 200 odd games. And then you really start to understand what they are. And they seem to be rounding into form. Those two young guys in particular, um, as we approach, you know, the Christmas part of the season, teams are starting to kind of settle into their groove a little bit. The Leafs, when we look at them, they are very injured on the back end, and it's great they keep picking wins up. The future of Muzzin is very cloudy, and and it's sad for that guy because he's given a lot to the game, and he's achieved a lot too. But as we start getting into that time of year where people start talking about trades, upgrades, what sort of things are you looking at from a Leafs perspective where you'd say, I'd really like to get an upgrade there? You never have enough defensemen. I mean, you just yep. flat out don't. And, you know, we'll see how Connor Timmons plays out. There's a kid that was pretty pedigreed as well. You know, a second-round pick to Colorado who's been banged up. Um, it looks like a, a solid pickup for what you're hoping for him to do. Um, this stretch with with Morgan and, and TJ Brody out will only strengthen the group as a whole. Because now you'd like to say, okay, if Lilligren and Sandine can be effective and they played 25 and 23 minutes respectively, let's bump them back to 18 and 16 and see, you know, where that fits and how that goes. So I think that is all to be determined. You've got, you know, close to three months until the trade deadline. Um, you know, if you're on the other side of the equation, if you're trying to add what you would consider a blue chipper here, <coughs> excuse me, um, a blue chipper here on defense, once now you're right back into what are you going to be willing to give up? Because if you're on the other side of the equation, I'm looking at the leaf prospects and I say, well, I want Matthew nice. You know, I managed to, that's, yep. you know, if I, if I'm shopping the Leafs, you know, assets, that's who I want back. Um, and, and, and if I'm the Leafs, I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't want to give up Matthew nice. So, you know, those kind of, of conversations I'm sure have been had, but I think it'll, it'll depend a lot. Like, Matt Caldwell was real efficient here in a short period of time. Um, he's a small guy. Mm-hmm. How, how many guys like that can you have on your back end? Now, he's been a small guy his whole career. He didn't just be a small guy. He knows how to play, and I thought he was effective in his games here. But if you're in a playoff battle in a six-game series, is that enough depth? Um, if one of your key guys goes down, is it enough depth to call a guy in to a playoff series and, and you're playing a rugged team – a bigger team, maybe a Tampa Bay, you know, who's got a pretty big group of forwards. 
Um, you know, Matt Mar- or Pat Maroonish, you know, guys bearing down on you, or Corey Perry, or whomever it may be in the third and fourth lines. You know, so that those are the questions you're asking. But having a chance to audition them during the year, having an audition, one thing I like about Timmons is he's a little bit bigger. You know, he's 6'2", 210 pounds. And you've got to add some some size back there because neither Lilligren or Sandine's a big guy. Lilligren's a little bit bigger, but those aren't big guys. And if you're playing a team that's going to get into net front playoff battles, um, then do you have the right mix available? Yeah, it's definitely a it's definitely a tough thing to for them to sort out. But I'm sure that with everything at stake this year, no deal next year. I think Dubis. Oh, not that I don't think he won't. I just think that he almost has to do something this year where he goes, we're going to make some sort of a significant addition. And it doesn't have to be a superstar, you know, number two D or something like that. But I think, I think he's going to get the shovel out and do a little bit more heavy lifting than maybe years past, because this is a big, big critical year for not just himself, but a lot of those players too. It's just the way it is. Clarky, go ahead. I know you got something to add. Well, just a quick thing on on Matthews and Marner. Obviously, uh, Mr. Fancy Pants, Mitch Marner, is really ripping it up right now with with his point streak. Uh, if they, if those two guys could avoid playing three on three, they would be amazing. Um, but Matthews isn't scoring at the clip that he was last year. Let's be honest. But he really looks like he is more of a team player this year. He seems genuinely thrilled every time a teammate uh, does something great. Uh, Do you think this is a changing year for him philosophically where it's like, I want team first. And I'm not saying he didn't before, but he seems to be definitely putting his own um, stats and goals to the side and making sure the team wins. At least from my point of view. I wouldn't say he did it before Clarky. I would say he didn't know what that meant. Right. Um, and it's only like when you've been the best player your whole life and you've had the puck your whole life and you've scored goals your whole life, how do you know what the rest yeah. of it is? How do you know what the mm-hmm. equation is? You know, I'll, I'll liken back to we brought a kid into Washington. Um, I might have been my last year there or second last or, or first year there. I want to play two. Um, Jason Allison. And mm-hmm. we brought him up from junior at the end of the year, sort of in my, my first year in Washington. And, you know, he was this wonder kid. He was a big kid. And he scored a ton of points and stuff. And it took me one practice to realize that this, this kid just didn't have a clue. But then when I started to think about it, he had no idea how to play without the puck mm-hmm. because he had the puck his whole life. Well, how do you mm-hmm. blame a guy for that? I mean, it is, well, how would I know how to play without the puck? I've been the mm-hmm. best player and I've had the puck my whole life. So teach me. And with Matthews, he's been the best player. He's scored goals his whole life. And we also had this, this silly saying about jeans and sneakers. And once you have a really nice pair of jeans and you have a nice pair of comfortable sneakers, you realize that's really all you need. And, you know, it's all the money in the world. You can only wear one pair at a time. And you can't wear two pairs of jeans at the same time. And you can't wear four sneakers. And so once you got your jeans and sneakers, and those guys now, guys, they have their jeans and sneakers, okay? They have really nice ones. But they know that to put those comfy shoes on and go out with their nice jeans on, it doesn't do it for them. It just doesn't. And whether it be a nice car or a nice house or, you know, all the entrapments of what their success has earned for them, um, they realize about, usually about 25 years old, that there's more. And, and I think that's a natural evolution 
that you see in a player. There's no blame to be had here. You can't necessarily teach the player that before he figures it out himself. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a relationship that changes it. Sometimes it's a family situation that changes it. Lots of different factors involved. Um, but you both smiled when I gave you the, the jeans and sneakers philosophy because it's kind of true. Like it <laughs> yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Right? It absolutely is. It's, uh, hey, I got a good pair of jeans on right now, man. I tell you, yeah, it really is all you need. And I, I agree. Yeah, like it, it's one of those things where, and we still see it today, where there are guys that come up from junior especially, and they're the big cat in town. They score 40 or 50. They're the big star on their junior team. And then they get up to the NHL, and guys are ready to run you over all over the ice, and you can't toe drag everybody and score top shelf it, you know you're you're facing the best goalies the best defenders there are a lot of guys a lot of countless examples of guys that scored 50 in junior that either couldn't hack it in the nhl or just turned into you know your kind of third line grinder because it's just such a different game i don't know that a lot of people necessarily have the respect for that on that note so what's really, nick wanna... robertson going to be ryan I think Nick Robertson still has an opportunity to be a solid second-line player. I don't think that he necessarily has the, the game to be a first-line guy, your go-to guy. But if he can slide in and become a 25-goal scorer and be you know, the trigger man on a second power play unit and use his speed, because he's not a big guy, but use his speed in the right way, I, I still think that he has that type of ceiling where if he's not a 20, 25 goal scorer, I think in his case, that would maybe be considered a failure because he, he played well in the AHL too, right? Like this is, this is the last egg for him to crack. That's just my opinion. And hey, I watched him a lot in the OHL and there were still signs that he kind of knows the game. He's not just a sniper. He knows the game. He knows how to play and Sheldon will work with him. On the note of, you know, the game changing a lot, Pooley, and this is driving me nuts. And I know, you know, your colleagues, the overdrive boys, they were losing it about this the other day. The the physicality, it seems every time somebody lays a big hit, it's this huge controversy. And, uh, of course, we're we're talking specifically that Truba hit the other day on Athanasiu. He had some very pointed comments for Jacob Truba. Um, Darlene had a nice big hit the other day. Like, every time this happens, it seems like it's this big outrage you played in a pretty rough era and you were a rough guy. You played the game hard. You were the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, for God's sake. Like, it doesn't get harder than that. What's your opinion on this? Because I know the game inevitably changes. The fighting has dropped way down. But every time, like, those are all nice, hard hits. The Luke Shen one the other night on Slavkovsky. I agree with O-Dog. I can't believe that was a penalty. That's such a joke. Every single time a nice big hit gets laid, it's it's somehow this big controversy. I don't like it. What's your opinion of this? I don't like it at all. I think hitting should be a part of the game. And it, it, body contact is allowed in the game. Now, there are teams, Ryan, that don't hit. There are yeah. forwards that are told, as a group, if you hit, you take yourself out of the play. Well, that's a different style of play. Now, if I'm playing you in a playoff series and you're the team that doesn't hit, and I'm the team that does hit. I am going to try and wear your D down, and I'm going to tell my D, don't worry about getting hit on the forecheck. You're not going to get hit. You've got time. Make a play. And how is that going to bear out in a seven-game series? Um, 
I still think there's a place for the big hit in the game. And believe me, when I was picking up a puck, going through the neutral zone, I knew where Scott Stevens was. Oh, I, I was absolutely aware where he was. And you have to – I can only – I mean, I treasured games. Now, I got to be a home team player in the Boston Garden. and But even as a member of the visiting team, I treasured games in there. Buffalo and Chicago. Why? Smaller ice surfaces. Where do they take the space out of? The neutral zone. You crossed your own blue line, and you were crossing the other team's blue line three strides later. Well, the contact in those areas was tremendous, and there was no two-line pass. So you had such compacted space. Believe me, you better know where Dave Manson was in Chicago when you were crossing the blue line, or Bob Murray, or, or you know, you, you just better know where they were. And those games were so much fun. The, the Rasmus Dahlin hit on Nieto was terrific. Like that oh, is yeah. a body check. Terrific. Beautiful. You know, you're a faster skater. Now think of the guys that we, we talked about who are getting lit up. Athens CU, Nieto, those are lightning fast skaters. Slavkovsky too. Slavkovsky is too. But he's going to figure it out, guys. I will tell you. I watch Montreal enough and do enough of the games. He will figure sure. it out. Oh, yeah. But if if you think about the high-speed high guys like Athens CU coming across like – you just don't get to skate with your head down. Like mm-hmm. part of the game is keeping your head up. How many times were we told that as kids, keep your head up, know what are your surroundings are. He had his head buried on that play. They and, seem to think they can now though, Pooley, like they said on well, overdrive, like there's, there's, they think that they're safe in every part of the ice rink and I just don't like it. And then they get not. lit up and they, they turn around and they look at the referee. Where's my penalty? Like get up. You, you you were looking at the puck the whole way. Like, I just don't understand it. It's like people walking across the street on a busy street and you're just looking at your phone walking through a stop sign. Like, what'd you expect? You're getting hit. I like it. I like it. And, and I, and I think that I hope hitting never leaves the game. I think fighting oh, will God, organically please. leave the game. Fighting will leave the game organically. It just will. Yeah. It's less and less and it will, but hitting can't. And, you know, I had a huge adjustment when I went to Europe to play because at that point you weren't allowed to hit in the offensive zone. So you couldn't hit on the four check. And I had, I had a lot of penalty minutes in my one year in Sweden because I loved to hit on the four check. It was sneaky. It was great. You would use your speed and you could separate someone from the puck. But if you're a defender, and I'm talking about teams that don't hit as a philosophy, man, I'd love to play against them in a playoff series. Knowing oh, you're man. not going to get hit at mm-hmm. all on the four check. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. What a luxury. Final one from you. I On that note, I'm just, I wonder what you think of this thought, really, that I was thinking about on my drive home last night. Like, it, it's confusing to me almost because it's a weird dichotomy because these players that are playing this modern style and they think they're not going to get lit up, they get hit. And when a big hit happens, God forbid someone gets hurt. We don't want that. You know, it's this huge outcry. But then on the other side of it, my perception from the very outside looking in has always been that the Players Association is one of the most fractured, discombobulated groups going because they'll whine and complain, oh, I got hit, I got hit. But then if a guy makes a greasy hit and kills someone from behind and gets a 10-game suspension, they're fighting to reduce it to six. Like it... The back and the two sides of that coin don't match to me, Pooley. And I don't know. I'm just frustrated with it. I think it's goofy. 
Well, you're allowed to be, Ryan. Um, that in itself, you know, the, every every dispute the players' association is involved in, they represent both players. So you've got one lawyer, and he's representing both sides of the argument. It, it's, <laughs> Crazy. It's stupid. It's a little, it, it, it is hard. It is hard. Department of Player Safety has a tough job. I get that. I understand it. Um, but all that said, I do hope that hitting is always a part of the game of hockey. Oh, God, me too. Yeah, they can't get rid of that. Pooley, we been, always appreciate you been, your thoughts. No, go have ahead. Have you been Clark. on the ice at all, Pooley? Um, Clarky, I am uh, almost five years removed from skating. Yeah. So, like, uh, the last goal you up. scored? The last goal you scored, was it against me, maybe? Uh, Just well, say, yeah. That was that one game in the last seven I scored for against you. <laughs> we talked about that one game. Um, but... You know what? I, I had this great Tuesday night group I skated with my buddies that I grew up with and their kids. And it was a fast game because all their kids played junior in college. But when I started doing Montreal, however long I've been doing Montreal Color, and I think this is either my fifth or sixth year, I should probably know that, is the last time I skated. Wow. Uh, the last time I skated was at Madame at the oh. old Maple Leaf Gardens. Yep. Yep. And uh, as a group, we would, we would have different facilities um, one of the last times I skated was outdoor in that Molson rooftop ice surface. Um, we had that one night as well. And so we had some good connections to get some good skating facilities. But I, I thought maybe it was kind of funny. Maybe it was fitting that the last time I will have skated was at the old Maple Leaf Gardens with all my best friends that I grew up with because that was my first NHL game as well. Neat. So there was a, a certain yeah. symmetry to that. Um, I'll put them on again, Clarky, probably yeah. with my granddaughter. Um, and, and I think that's probably what, what will happen. And, and, you know, it'll be on a good outdoor ice surface and we'll be all bundled up and it'll bring back a lot of memories. Beauty. Good stuff, man. Well, your skates might not be sharp right now, but you're as sharp as ever, Pooley. We love having you on the show. It's great to catch up. I'm glad you're well. Thanks for doing this, bud. I always enjoy joining you gentlemen. Have a good holiday. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, like Clarky and I teased earlier, Lauren Campbell, a local swimmer who's going to Illinois State, she's going to join us next here on Instigating. Welcome back to Instigating with Clarky and Drury. We're very pleased to be joined by a great special guest, a local swimmer from the area, Lauren Campbell, who's a London native and is going to be going to Illinois State. Lauren, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? We're doing great. Now, obviously, I think, Clarky, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time that we've had a a swimmer on. I on believe it is. Is that absolutely? Yeah, it's, okay, I mean, I so swim, gonna, but not quite as fast as Lauren. Well, okay, Clarky, you try and do a lot of things, but uh, we're, ta- <laughs> we're talking to a pro here, okay? This is a professional, all right? Lauren, t- t- tell us a little bit, before we get into, obviously, all the fun stuff you've been doing, the FINAs, Illinois State, Tell us a little bit about your passion for swimming, where that started, and when you started to realize you could do it competitively. Yeah. Um, so I guess my passion for swimming has like always been in my blood. My parents or my mom and my uncle were swimmers. Um, I always just liked swimming, whether I was at someone else's pool or at my aunt's cottage. Really, anywhere I could be in water, I was always in water. That's where you'd find me. Um, I guess where it all started was actually when I was doing swimming lessons, um, my swim lessons instructor, she realized that I had like 
um, a great talent for swimming. And she even knew it back then when I started to do my lessons. And I was just moving up in levels. And it got to a point where I was too young to understand the CPR piece. And she recommended this club in Venastra. So uh, my parents were like, you know what, we'll try this. And I was like, yeah, I think this would be actually really cool. So then I went to Venastra, the Hurricanes, um, and I tried out a a full year there. They are a full year swim team. And I loved it. I did really well. I made regionals there. I qualified for festivals there. And, you know, I realized that, like, I, I want to do this competitively because Vinastra was only swimming like, twice a week. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going so fast only swimming twice a week, I could be a pretty good swimmer. I was like, you know what? This could be a pretty good passion for me. And so we looked into other clubs and we found out London Aquatic Club was a thing and I went and tried out there and that's where it all started. How often do you, wow. how often do you swim now? Like what what give give us an example of your schedule for the week. You're still in high school, right? You're finishing your yeah. last year. Yes, I'm in grade 12. So, an example of a week. So, I have a 2-hour morning practice on Monday morning and then what time? Uh, 5.30 to 7.30. That's dedicated. <laughs> I was not getting out of bed at yeah. 5.30 in high school. I'll no. tell you that. No. Okay. It says then, Monday, yeah. Yeah. So Monday night, I have 3.30 to 5 mm. practice. Then Tuesday, again, 5.30 to 7.30. And again, 3.30 to 5. And then Wednesday, I have uh, weight training. And it's from basically after school, so 245 3-ish to whenever you're done the workout. Um it's usually set for three to four, but sometimes we take longer or shorter. It depends on what we're doing. Um Thursday is 5 30 to 7 30 in the morning and 3 30 to 5 30 at night. Friday is 5 30 to 7 30 again and uh three to five then on my own, I do um, a weight session with my physical trainer. Um, she coaches the CSIO, which is like um, all the like high performance athletes uh, for swimming. And she also sw- uh, coaches Ontario Swim Academy. Um, she, yeah, so she has a like her own program on the side which I'm a part of. And then Sunday I swim from 11.30 to 1.30. And then I go to the gym again from two to three. And school in between. What a schedule. (laughs) Oh my God. There's I a mean, schedule it, for you, it Ryan. took a lot to just get me out of bed in the morning in high school. You're <laughs> a legitimate water bug here. That is dedication. Yeah. That's dedication yeah. to a craft. I'm glad. Because, and and glad I just want to add here, oh, yeah, go ahead, add here Ryan, like you're swimming at 530, but you're living in Exeter. Yeah. So what time are you up? Like four? Uh, four? Like 415. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, hey, you that's why morning she's an athlete host, and we're not. Yeah, could be a morning show host on radio while she's on the way to the. the a hundred percent. Yeah, we should get her to call in. We should get her to call in. Morning, <laughs> morning swim with Lauren. That's yeah. That's there we the go. Show. There you go. Yeah. 
I, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the training element of it, obviously, because Lauren, like when you're in the pool, you're practicing your craft, you're in the water, but what sort of weight training and exercises go in to professional and competitive swimming? Like what sort of things are you doing? Cause I know Clark, you know, last week when we were chatting with Julianne Stolly, who's an Olympic runner, she was kind of describing it's mostly focused on very explosive exercises for her legs. Is it kind of similar? Like what sort of stuff are you doing in the weight room? Yeah. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm like doing weights, like Olympic powerlifting, um, you know, deadlifts, squats, hang power cleans, RDLs, that kind of thing. Um, closer to competition, I start doing the power stuff. Um like vertical jumps, uh, horizontal jumps, um, any jumps really to practice mm-hmm. pushing off the wall and diving and that kind of stuff. So it really depends on where I am in training or if there's a meet coming up. Um, I do less reps for less weight for like more intensity, more reps. Um, and uh, like you do it at a faster pace. Um, but yeah, no, usually day to day, if I'm not, if there's no big meet coming up, then I'm doing Olympic powerlifting. Wow. Do you have a specialty in the pool or a favorite swim that you like to do? Uh, so I like swimming all the strokes. Uh, I swim, my good events are the 200 IM, which is a 50 meters of every single stroke, butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, freestyle. And I like the 400 IM, which is a uh, hundred meters of fly back breast and free. Wow. That, yeah, I, I don't know that I could do anything more than a breaststroke. Probably. I, I don't, uh, I'm not an adept swimmer. I'm a decent swimmer. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm good. Like Clarky claims to be. I didn't uh, say I wanna... it was good. I said I could <laughs> swim, but like, well, Clarky, yeah. you think you're good at everything. Actually, I can't swim. To be honest, I, I'd actually pay money to see Lauren <laughs> swim against you. Um, I want to <laughs> ask you as well about the Fina's recently, obviously, which is a big deal in the swimming world. You got to compete. Take us through the preparation for that, the event itself, and how it went. Oh my God, it was great. Um, so I'm gonna tell you the story of how I found out because I think it's so funny and it was a weird coincidence. So my parents and I, we bought tickets to go watch because we have a swimmer, Olympian, Maggie McNeil. Um, she was competing and a couple of my friends were competing, actually. And we we're like, we want to go watch this because, you know, being a World Cup, it's crazy cool. Um, so we bought the tickets. And two weeks later on a Saturday morning, mom yells down from upstairs, uh, Lauren, you need to come upstairs. I need to tell you something. And I was like, oh my God, what is it? And I was just like out of the shower, didn't know what was going on, just like getting ready for my day. Um, and she's like, Lauren, you got invited to the Fina World Cup. And I didn't say anything. I just kind of looked at her like, what? <laughs> kind of stunned a little bit. And she said, she started tearing up and she was like, you got invited to compete at the Fina World Cup. And I was like, oh my goodness. I, and I started tearing up and I was like, I'm so hyped for this. This is so exciting. Um, I told everyone I could because I thought it was so cool. Um, 
no, but it was a really cool experience. I got to see a lot of great swimming, a lot of great swimming. Um, it was actually quite weird. I, so at the meets that I've been to, we didn't really have like a ready room. They, they had a ready room, but it wasn't like this professional. Um, you'd go into the ready room before your race, before your event, and they would check, you know, the FINA logos on your swimsuits, the logos on your water bottle. If you brought a water bottle in the logo on your beats, like if you didn't have, if they weren't sponsored, they'd have to cover it up. They like, they had to check your cat. They had to check your goggles, make sure they were legal. Um, and then you would sit behind the swimmers ahead of you. And you would see all these like Olympians coming in. It was crazy. It was intense and really cool. And then you would go up behind the big gigantic screens showing all like the FINA sponsorships and stuff. And then you'd walk out and your name would be called. And, you know, just the excitement from that, I think, was a pretty cool experience for me. I mean, even just going, even just being invited was mm-hmm. surreal. I think, um, but no, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, I definitely recommend if you could go, <laughs> even to watch. Yeah, pretty cool. W- was there a moment at the meet or at the what do they call it? The meet is it a swim meet? Yeah. A yeah. meet? Was there a moment that you'll never forget? Meeting someone, talking to someone, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, Olympic breaststroker Lily King. Um, so I'm going to Illinois State, right? So my coach actually coached Lily King, and so wow. I, I, I was like, I need to, I need to say something. I need to say hi. I need to introduce myself. And my coach was like, You need to say hi. She's so nice. Tell her I say hi. So um, Saturday night, I walked up to her at finals, and I'm like you're Lily King, right? And she's like, yes, I am. And I was like, do you know Caitlin Hamilton, which is my head coach? And she's like, oh my God, yeah, she used to coach me. And she's like, yeah, she was telling me I needed to say hi because I'm going to Illinois State. And she was like, oh my God, my mom used to swim for Illinois State. And I was like, that's so crazy. And then I I said, oh my God, good luck. And text my coach and was like, oh my God, I said hi to Lily King. She says hi. She says she misses you. Anyway. But yeah, no, it was, that was, it was pretty cool. Very cool. Now that was when, very similar to Clarky's reaction when he first met me. It, it um, was, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Go ahead, Clarky. No, I was just going to say like on the surface, you would look, and I'm sort of talking to Ryan here, at swimming like, oh, that's a cheap sport, right? You got to buy a bathing cap. You got to buy some goggles and a swimsuit, right? What else do you need? Nothing, really. But Lauren, how much does a typical swimsuit cost? Uh, so a typical race suit costs anywhere from 600 to $800. Um, and, 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 and how often can you wear that? I usually get maybe if I'm lucky ten races out of it. Wow! Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. They're really hard to get into too, so you're sacrificing the skin on your knuckles um, trying to get into them. So, How long does it take you? Uh, so some of them it takes me, you know, a good ten minutes. Um, others take me. 20 30 wow. depending on how new they are and what size they are yeah 
and I don't want to scare oh. people away from learning how to swim because you don't have to. And like no, you get to, no, you get to Lauren's level, and that that's yeah. what you're looking at, though. And it it blew me away when I found that out. So it was like that's interesting. It's a lot of dedication for sure. What yeah. like what are the the specialized suits for competition, Lauren? I don't know if you know like they're made of like a weird material, right? What are they made out of? That's a great, I have no idea, but it's actually really cool when you dive in the water and you get out, water just like falls off. You're not soaked. Right. Like your mm-hmm. skin soaked, obviously, but your suit, like you're not wet underneath your suit. It's, mm. it's odd. It's mm-hmm. very weird. Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. Technology, I mean, obviously right? they're designing them at a high, at a high level. That's pretty intense. Let's talk about, you know, we've referenced it a couple times now, but it's very exciting for you. And this is so big. Congrats, Illinois Thank State. You. You're she's going D1, Clarky. This is really incredible. Um, tell us how this all fell together because to go and swim at a school like that, that's really, really impressive stuff. Like you're on the fast track to some big things. Tell us about it, how you're feeling, how it all came together. Yeah, so I'm extremely excited. If you can't tell, I'm already decked out. Um, <laughs> yes. But how it all started, I kind of knew since grade nine, I wanted to go to university in the States. Um, didn't know how it was going to happen. Totally, like, oblivious to the recruiting process. Didn't know anything about going to the States. But I was like, I'm going. And so, you know, we talked to some families higher up, like, in who had children older and who talked to, um, you know, us schools and stuff. And they recommended this NCAA or no NCSA, not NCAA. NCAA is the, um, the swimming athletic association for schools. Anyway, NCAA, NCSA is a, recruiting app that you basically Hmm. get a recruiting coach you have calls with them and they you know walk you through what it's like to talk to a coach how to email coaches they teach you all these new skills how to you know hold a conversation how to boast about yourself like how to brag about yourself because I didn't know how to talk about myself I didn't know how to be like oh yeah like I didn't know what was right or wrong. Like, I didn't want to seem like I was coming off as this, like, ego-based, like, oh, yeah, I'm so good, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that's definitely something that I worked on. Um, And then, you know, I partnered with ACC, which is another um, company who reaches, actually reaches out to schools Hmm. for you schools that they think that you may be interested in based on what you're looking for and you know they have personal connections depending on who you're working with and they're like yeah i think they may be a great fit so they reached out to a whole bunch of schools and on june 15th of my grade 10 year i got many emails I was not expecting many emails. I we, I was lucky to get one. Um, I ended up getting a whole bunch of emails. And throughout the recruiting process, I think I had at least 30 conversations, like either between, e- like back and forth conversations, not just one email, back and forth conversations 
with at least 30 schools. Hmm. And, you know, it, the recruiting process, even if you don't end up going to a U.S. school, I think that that process really grew my communication skills. Like, um, before I was kind of this, like, shy, didn't know how to talk to adults person. And so I think that, you know, talking to these coaches, you know, realizing that adults are literally just teenagers, but older, um, it made it a lot easier to, you know, have conversations in my day-to-day life with, like, teachers and coaches and that kind of thing. Um no, it was a really cool experience getting to learn about all the schools and, you know, what programs and the different training um, programs they had. And, you know, the different you got to see different coaches, their different personalities and their different philosophies. And I think that was my main question to every coach that I talked to is what's your philosophy? Because, you know, for me, my philosophy is, you know, your team is your family, you know, you know, like your team comes first. You're like, I wanted to be treated like a person before an athlete and before a um, student, because if you're not treated like a person and you're treated like an athlete, then you kind of get a weird connection with your coach and you're not, it feels like you're not respected for a person. You're just, here for you know your talent which you are but again you're human and i think Mm -hmm. you know being treated like a human is definitely one of the things that i looked for Mm. and there were some coaches that were like you're like athletics come first this kind of thing this kind of thing and that's like i knew you know what thank you thank you so much for this opportunity but i'm going to have to pass well, Did when you not go many on any, schools uh, are uh, are coming after okay. you, you kind of make that decision. Obviously, you got a good head on your shoulders, obviously, which is great. Go ahead, Clarky. I was going to ask: Did you go on any visits to schools to, to before you de- finally determined? And so you, you went to Illinois State. Did you go anywhere else? Like, um, did you I have went... a top three? Yeah. So my first, actually, my first um, official visit was to Purdue University. Hmm. Um, amazing. Mm-hmm a really big campus we walked everywhere and i was wearing bands and wrong oh no wrong decision (laughs) Um, (laughs) by the end i was like slowly almost crawling to the hotel bed because my feet were just in pain but no beautiful campus amazing coaches amazing swim team um i just think you know, I needed to keep looking. I wasn't going to make my first decision right off the bat because, mm-hmm. you know, you have that gut feeling. I didn't have that gut feeling when you go, when I went there. Mm-hmm. So I kept looking and my second official visit was at Illinois state. Um, I fell in love right away. It, it was actually, they were like, it was really cold and rainy and they're like, we don't usually have this weather. And I was like, Oh, it's just the Canadian and me. We're just bringing it to you. <laughs> um, no, but um, out of world experience. Amazing. 
I fell in love right away, got like connected with the coach right away, connected with the swimmers right away, you know, even connected with the academic advisor right away, which was really cool. Um, fell in love with the program that I was looking into, um, you know, overall was like my favorite experience ever. And then I also went to, I went on an unofficial visit to Indiana state on the same mm. trip kind of, because, yep, yep. you know, very close. And so I went there again, amazing campus, but nothing really compared to Illinois. Mm-hmm. Like you, when you know, you know, kind of thing. And I, everyone kept telling me that. And I was like, okay, like, uh, yeah, I guess. But then I didn't realize how much, you know, when you know. Um, And then my last visit was an official visit to Florida, which was great. Just (laughs) had to go to Florida. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, weather was great. Campus is beautiful, but again, still didn't compare to Illinois. Nice. That's incredible. Well, congratulations. Obviously it's, it's a huge accomplishment for you. You got two fans now we're, we're going to be paying attention to what you're up to now. This is really incredible stuff. And it's great that someone from our area is, is achieving these things. And you seem like an achiever for sure. Unlike Clarkie and I, you seem like an achiever, and uh, I know that you said that your goal was to go to college in the States. You've done that. You're going. Mm-hmm. What's your next goal? Um, I have some pretty big goals, I guess. You know, um, my, like, goal since I was started swimming is Olympics. Definitely yep. Olympics. Um but, you know, being an NCAA champion, um, setting some uh, club records for my team. Um, actually, my coach gave me this card and it included some of their uh, top records for the events that I had. And so now that's posted on my wall. So I'm focusing on it. Um, mm. But no, I think like my uh, another good goal, it's not about times or anything, but it's, to, you know, to enjoy this process and this opportunity that I get because um, I've heard so many great things and I've learned about the great things and I've been like, I've experienced the great things that come with going to college or university in the States. And so I think, you know, just enjoying and making the best out of my four or five years there at Illinois, um, is one of my top goals too. I love it. It's incredible. I I think you're going to do big things. You already have, again, you're a friend of the show. Now we're going to have to catch up with you when you go down there, obviously. Um, Congratulations, Lauren. This is really, really cool. And thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. No, I, I was so excited when Chris asked. So excited. I had a few questions, but I was really excited. That's perfect. Good stuff. All right. Uh, Like I said, again, congrats. And we're going to be paying attention to you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more here on instigating. All 
right, everybody. That's it for us this week here on Instigating with Clarky and Drury. We really appreciate our two great guests this week. Our buddy, Dave Poulin of TSN Hockey, and of course, longtime captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. And Lauren Campbell, local swimmer from the London area who's off to Illinois State. Congrats, Lauren. We really, really appreciate you joining us on the show and best of luck to you. Obviously, we're going to have a couple more shows leading into the holiday break, and then we're going to play a couple best of shows. We're still kind of picking and choosing which ones we want to re-air for a couple weeks as we take a much-deserved holiday, particularly producer Adam putting us on the air every week. And remember... You can watch the show every Friday night at 8, Sunday night at 9 with our friends on Whiteman TV. That's Channel 6 for Whiteman subscribers. You can follow us on social media at Instigating Pod and find us on our YouTube channel, Friday nights debuting at 9 o'clock. We really appreciate everybody listening to and watching Instigating with Clarky and Jury. We'll be back next week with more. <laughs>